Welcome, everyone. So glad you made it to the 11 a.m. gathering. Way to go. You did it. Um, you guys, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't already met, I'd love the chance to get to know you after the gathering. Um, but before we launch into our teaching from the scriptures, I, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. For some of you, you know this man. He's an incredible guy. Him and his family moved out here from Bakersfield, California in the early days of Riverbend to help plant us back in 2016 and 2017. And then during the pandemic, the Lord called their family to go back to Bakersfield to launch a church. We were blessed to be a part of that journey with them and help launch them. And um, so anyways, you guys, would you please put it together for Nick Othart, everybody. Yes, dude, so good to see you, man. Oh. So um, you guys, um, I admire Nick and Jackie so much. Planning a church is really hard to do, but you guys have done it beautifully. And also the Lord is doing something really awesome at River and Way down in Bakersfield. So I was just hoping you could tell us a little bit about what's been going on. Yeah, it's great to be here. It was great to, I wish I could have been here for the block party last week. Yeah. We, I, I cooked burgers at the first block party. So this is like an <laughs> iconic moment on my giant moment. old barbecue that no <laughs> one uses anymore. Yeah, um, but we're, my family's really great to be back to visit. We love Riverbend. This yeah. is a fundamental part of our story. Yeah. I would actually say at our time at Riverbend is when we fell in love with the inbreaking kingdom of God. And yeah. so, so we love being back to visit. Um, to tell a bit about our story down in Bakersfield, we planted a church 15 months ago called River and Way. Riverbend was instrumental in helping us launch River and Way. Andrew said that River had to be in the name or they yeah. weren't going to help us. And so, so River and Way is the best we could come up with. There's an old riverbed in the city that we've been praying that God would pour his spirit out like the river and bring life to the city again. And so uh, just in 15 months, it's been really beautiful that God has been gathering people to take them deeper. Uh, and to like call to more purity, more holiness, to use a Bible word, as we follow Jesus together as this new community of followers of Jesus in Bakersfield. Wow. So it's been really beautiful. We kind of have uh, some funky different rhythms. And one of those is that the, the last Sunday of every other month, we do like old church potluck together and everyone brings food because we all love really good food. And we challenge the millennials, of which I am one, to do better than like croissants yeah. on the way in. And so we crush brunch together. And then we open up the mic for people to sing story or sing songs and tell stories about what God's been doing. So like the testimony of God currently at work is being advanced as a normal part of our gathering as the body encourages and equips and exhorts one another. So it's been a really beautiful experience and, and we're just so glad to be back uh, to be with you guys for a hot minute uh, before we finish kind of our road trip. But, but just so glad to be here with Andrew. We love the leadership team here. They are like family to us. And so when we come back, it feels like we're right at home again. But just so thank you so much to the Riverbend crew for having us and hosting us and, and loving us the way you guys do. Well, we do love you. Let's let's pray. Um, let's pray over our gathering. Let's also pray over you and your. Can family. I pray over the gathering? Yeah. yeah okay. One hundred percent. So Andrew's gonna. I, you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you're right here with us. And we thank you that when we call out to you, and when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we're able to find you. You're right here with us. And so we just want to settle into this very present moment to not be in our past or in our future, but just right here, meeting with you, transformed by the scriptures, transformed by your word, 
transformed even by just like the community of the Spirit in this room as we all gather in your name, Jesus. And we thank you um, for what you're doing in Bakersfield with Nick, Jackie, and the whole crew. We thank you that, um, yeah, there's a brand new expression of the gospel that wasn't there before the pandemic now um, because you moved in their hearts to go express the gospel and express the way of Jesus in a compelling way. And so, God, we just pray that you would maximize just the influence that they have in the name of Jesus. We also just pray that their community would be a house of prayer that is contending for an awakening to the gospel that Bakersfield hasn't seen. And that it's not through striving or through manipulation, but actually just through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we, we love you and we thank you so much for Nick and Jackie. And we just ask that you would bless them um, as they are on a short little vacation um, in, uh, here in Bend. We love you, Jesus. We love the Oath Arts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you guys would, I'm going to pray just over our gathering and pray for each of you. So if you would stand. Um, I get really, I'm like, I get nervous when I sit too long. So <laughs> stand with me. I'm going to pray. If you would just even like, if you consider closing your eyes and opening your hands. And even just taking a deep breath, like breathing out your anxiety or anything you carry this morning and breathing in again the presence of God. It's one of the beautiful things about who God is, is that he's in you. And as we just come to experience God together in this like 90 minute, 100 minute gathering, that like God desires to meet with you exactly where you are today. So remember the truth that like Christ lives in you and you live in him. And so God, we come to you now and we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this room and in this group of people at this moment in time. Pray for like hurts and anxieties and wounds that exist in our hearts to be revealed that the Holy Spirit, the comforter could speak over those things could heal those things, heal those anxieties deep within us. And we pray that as we come here, God, we don't come as some like religious practice. We don't come even to just sing songs. We come to celebrate the risen Savior who has saved us and lives inside of us. And so as we come today, we come to encounter the living God again. And so I just pray for fresh encounter in this space. Come, Holy Spirit. And do things only you could do. God, we love you. Pray a blessing and pray favor over this church and over these people as we seek to exalt together the name of Jesus. May your name be lifted high. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, would you stay standing for the reading of the scriptures just as we recognize their authority and we submit ourselves to them? Um, and at the end of the reading of the scriptures, I am going to say this is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to a congregational response, which is praise be to God. So we're thanking God for his word together. So I will read the scripture and then I will say this is the word of the Lord. And then the appropriate response is praise be to God. Could we practice real quick? Is that too weird? So I will say this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Fantastic. Dude, second service crushed it. Um, and the words, will also, the words will be on the screen. So please follow along as I read. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Next slide. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Awesome. Go ahead and find your seat. So those of you who call Riverbend home, you, you won't be surprised to learn that I'm excited to teach this passage. I'm always excited to teach the scripture. Although I'll admit, I'm not crazy about the part on orgies. Um, it's not really a comfortable topic of conversation for me, especially with my mom in the fourth row. It's just awkward and weird. Uh, but on the whole, I promise, this passage is super, super um, just important. It's an important message for us, a great message. And if you study the New Testament, you are going to be challenged by Jesus' sexual ethic. And today is that day. Um, he cares about your sexuality. And what we're going to find is that he's not actually here to restrict or oppress you. He's not here to, like, ruin the fun, despite the fact our, like, hyper-sexualized culture is aggressively trying to persuade you that he is. The Bible is actually making a much different claim about the way of Jesus. And that is that Jesus is the one who's truly wise, and through his word, he's offering you this whole new way of being human. And the end goal is not just a prude, only serious, kind of boring existence, but a life where you are like fully transformed into a whole person, where you're at peace and you're flourishing in every area of your life. And if, you'd, if you've been around Riverbend along, you know that we believe that takes way more than just being here on a Sunday morning and singing a few songs and like listening to a sermon every now and then. We need to reorder our lives around the practices and habits and the lifestyle of Jesus. And so this is why we're such a big uh, proponents of, and I'm shamelessly plugging to you once again, uh, Riverbend at night, which we do every single Sunday night, 6.30 to 8.30, where we have a lot of conversation around the teaching of John Mark Homer, and we get to really dive deep into the way of Jesus, and we're actually working through some practices together. And those of you who are a part of it, you know, it's just an amazing time. So please come on out 6.30, 8.30 tonight and every Sunday night. So when you read the scripture, like particularly here in Galatians chapter 5, like we just did, and the scripture is challenging you to resist the flesh, things like orgies and sexual immorality, but not just that, much more broad than that, Jesus is kindly and patiently and graciously revealing to you what's true. Here's the way that leads to life. The other ways lead to death, so choose life. He's not like an angry dad with impossible standards. He's a holy, wise, gracious, loving teacher who wants you to enjoy him and his presence and enjoy life to the full. Now, before we get too far down that track, though, uh, let's pay really close attention to the context of this letter as a whole. If you've been going with us through this series, you're probably familiar um, that Galatians is like Paul's manifesto 
to the early church that the gospel is God's way of redeeming and uniting all of the families of the earth under King Jesus. So despite like your secondary issues and petty differences that threaten to tear us apart, hint, hint, we are devoted instead to family love above all else. Paul is saying this is the hill that we die on. We die on the hill of familial love and devotion to one another, despite the things that threaten to break us apart. The bonds and the loyalty that we share and find in Jesus is deeper than all of that. And his urgency and his passion in this letter are palpable because the very soul of the church and the compelling witness of the, of, of the gospel is hanging in the balance. So for Paul, this is not like to the side of your orthodoxy. Hey, you know, you believe in all of these things and when you feel like it and as you're ready, be ready to accept Jesus followers who are different from you. No, no, no. If you are a mature Jesus person, this is the exact same way as saying that you are already cultivating deep community with Jesus people who are different from you and might even drive you crazy, might even drive you nuts. Because, the, and the because, the why is so critically important as it always is with the scripture. Because Jesus is coming back soon. That's what he promised us. That's what he said would happen at the end of this age, is that he would return, and when he returns, he has one throne, not multiple, one, where every tribe, tongue, and nation will encircle and worship. So there's not one throne or one like banquet table. There's not one bride, if you will, for every division that we've created based on our secondary values of race, politics, gender, economics, or whatever else. One, because we are all one in Christ and we have been incorporated into his unified body. So this is the lens of the letter to the Galatians. And this is, if you've been around, you know, been like our rally cry. We want exactly what Jesus wants in this message to, is to us. That the fabric of our relationships, it turns out, was not as strong as we thought that they were, particularly when it comes around these issues around the pandemic and politics and things like this. But we are here to say that we keep Jesus primary, the way of Jesus primary, and we can differ and have all kinds of distinctions. We retain those differences and those distinctions in Christ, but that we are pioneering above everything else, loyalty and unity in the family. So now that we're in chapter 5, we have to be careful to avoid sort of the, the thing, the mistake that lots of really great students of the Bible make here, which is to sort of lose sight of that plot line in the letter to the Galatians and turn the rest of the letter into like private, quick hit instructions for personal, moral, individual purity, whatever. Uh, when Jesus says, this is the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to death, so choose life. He's not using that term or defining that term life in the American sense, which begins and ends with like your personal happiness or whatever. He's saying something much riskier and something much, much better than that. When Jesus talks about your life, he talks about it in terms of like following in his footsteps, the cruciform, like in the way of Jesus kind of way. So offering your life for the good of everyone else. So any definition of discipleship that does not include like a self-effacing, like for the good of everyone else kind of orientation is at least missing the point in, 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 a, in, a, in a major way. 
The paradox, of course, is that this is where you and I find real meaning and real fulfillment is by offering our life in humble service to the kingdom and to the advance of the gospel. So by interpreting Galatians 5 in this way of like kind of a haphazard right turn after having beautifully laid out God's vision for one new family under Jesus just to kind of throw it all away here to talk about just private moral instructions or something like that. We miss the point and we miss the blessing. See, the point of the letter is still that we get to like keep Jesus and the gospel primary in the church. We need to hear these instructions from that sort of collectivist lens. But then also, the blessing is that Galatians does more than just passionately plead for like the ideal of unity in the church. And thank God it does that. We need, we need the scripture, like the aspirational, inspirational side of the scripture telling us to like hold this ideal and this principle sacred that we need to be one as Christ has united, has united us. But here in Galatians 5, we get more than just that. The ideal, we also get the practical strategy. In other words, what Paul is saying is don't give up on each other. Don't let your differences drive you apart like they're threatening to. Let me show you how. Let me show you how, let me show you how you build in habits, rhythms, practices into your life so that you can actually eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, to quote Ephesians chapter 4. We need both. We need the goal. We need that goal. And Paul has given that to us in spades throughout the first several chapters. And we also need like the winning strategy. And the rest of this letter is that winning strategy. Are you ready for it? Sweet. Matt is so in. Oh, I'm so grateful. That's awesome. Maybe others of you are like feeding off of his excitement, which would be really good. Uh, So Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says it like this. Uh, My brothers and sisters... You were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The entire law is fulfilled in just keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So uh, scholars believe that he's referring to um, some actual volatility in the Galatian church that's gone beyond just kind of sharing harsh words. He's actually referring to, actually there might have been even physical violence at the shared table of communion in Galatia. And he's saying that's not how we do things in the family of God. There's a completely different way. So the first thing to notice, the first observation is that we are called to live free. I love that. Um, You are no longer a slave. Remember, that's a major motif sort of running through the plot line of this letter. That before, you were enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, or the present evil age, as Paul describes it. Meaning that there are many things conspiring against you and your relationship to God. Uh, And you're thriving and you're flourishing in life. Also, you're enslaved to sin, Right? Patterns of sin and behavior that at first you thought was your free moral choice, but now you're finding is actually enslaving you, addicting you to a toxic way of living. And what Paul is saying is that's not who you are. That's not who you are anymore. You have been set free. In the language of Colossians, um, you've been transferred into the kingdom of the son that he loves. So you're no longer a slave. And by the way, so often when I talk with people who've been with Jesus for a long period of time, they still sort of like have that residue of being enslaved. Like, 
like feeling like they're living so defeated. I've had so many conversations over the years about young men in our community who are like addicted to pornography, which is just like an easy one to talk about because it's everywhere. But there's so many other patterns and sinful behaviors. And when I talk to people about this, I'm finding, I'm discovering that there is a, like, an, like a theoretical belief in the victory of Jesus, but then in actual practice, we're living as though we're defeated. So the thing that we need to do is replace our thinking and our beliefs, but we also need to replace our practices and our habits if we're actually going to really change. Again, that's our sort of working theory of change. So you are set free. You are a child of God. That's who you are now. And like I love to say, the most important thing about you is who God says you are. So we live in light of that reality, and then we pattern our entire life after that reality. Making sense? Awesome. So the teaching here is saying, uh, okay, you're no longer a slave. You are called to be free, but you have to use your freedom wisely. He says, use your freedom wisely. Imagine uh, for a moment that you were imprisoned for, let's say, a decade. A decade of your life, you're behind bars. That moment where you feel the sun on your face and you are walking free, no bars in your way any longer. Man, you're going to live with a new kind of perspective and a new like hope of your freedom. Like you're gonna use your, you're gonna spend your life in in a, in a much more meaningful way than 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 before. So Paul is essentially saying, hey, you are free. So live in light of that and use your freedom in the, in the right way, not as an excuse to do whatever you want. Notice how verse 13 kind of puts it like that. Do not use your freedom as an excuse to indulge the flesh. Flesh. That means what you think it means. He's, again, referring to a lot of the things that the Galatian church, coming from a traditionally pagan, like, uh, uh, you know, polytheist kind of culture, they would have been involved in all kinds of like sexually immoral behavior. And that's why that comes up a couple of different times. But also notice verse 15, where he's again calling out the religious elitism and the hypocrisy of the Jews who made up that community, who are essentially holding their cultural heritage and holding Gentiles hostage. And he's saying both of those things are really destructive to life in the family of God. So we're very quick to notice the sin and the sinful behavior of the people who disagree with us or who are different from us. But we need to be more actually concerned with the speck, or excuse me, the log in our own eye, as Jesus refers to it in the Gospels. So use your freedom wisely. In verse, uh, verse 14, it says, use your freedom to essentially love. I love this. And again, this is something that is carried out through the whole message of the scripture. Paul, uh, rather ironically, is riffing on the Torah, even though he's just said, hey, by the way, you're not under the Torah anymore, but here's lots of Torah for you to understand how we're meant to relate to it. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, this was, of course, the prayer, the meditation of the heart, both in the morning and in the evening, every single day, if you were a, a, a member of the Jewish family. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. So essentially, Paul is, like many of the New Testament authors, reframing and rephrasing the heart or the plot line of Torah 
saying that is still very much alive in you. And then Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which is where is a direct quote in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against uh, anyone among your people. Good, good luck. <laughs> How are you doing with that, by the way? <laughs> not holding a grudge against anyone among your people. I had to read that about five times and pray that in about 20 times uh, this week. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Again, um, because I'm a nerd and I, you, can't, you can't get it out of me, okay? Um, I, I, as I was studying this text this week, I was really blown away by this. Again, I think Paul is sort of ironically uh, bringing up the Torah many different times here in this section because he's been hammering home that the, the Jewish rival teachers who are in Galatia sort of upsetting the church, um, they, they were claiming that Paul is misusing the Torah. And Paul is actually saying, you know what, no, it, uh, you're the ones who are abusing Torah. I'm in trying to inspire like actual faithfulness to covenant. So they were using the, the law, the, the rival teachers in Galatia were using the law as a, as a form of a new sort of twisted cultural and religious elitism which I think we've seen a lot of today with sort of Christian nationalism and things like that. But Paul is saying, hey, we need to use the Torah to inspire faithfulness to covenant love above everything else. So I love that. And I love also the play on words. What's up, guys? Uh, I love the play on words in, in verse 13. Uh, it says, notice what it says one more time. You were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, rather serve one another humbly in love. Some translations say become one another's servant humbly in love. So you notice the, the word play. He's saying you are free, but subject yourself willingly to a new form of slavery. Again, you're no longer a slave, but you're, now you're choosing it voluntarily. That's what it is to be a Jesus person. Your freedom in Christ involves a brand new sort of slavery. And as Jesus' people, we are becoming servants by choice. Remember, Jesus says, I no, no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And a few verses later, he says, he calls us servants, and he calls himself a servant. So what it is to be a Jesus person is to willingly choose to become the servant of all. This is the idea of free slavery, or if you like uh, the, the phrase bond servant, which you probably are familiar seeing over the years. And the, the idea of a bond servant in Hebrew, Hebrew culture is somebody who was um, like sold into slavery for one reason or another. Don't think like uh, 18th and 19th century in the United States. Think a much more like ancient kind of uh, way of way of slavery, which was dehumanizing and oppressive and everything else, but it wasn't the same thing. Um, and after a period of time, they would receive their freedom after a certain number of years. Normally, it's about six or seven years or something like that. And then they had worked off their debt or whatever else, and now they were technically free. Some of those servants became bond servants, which was to voluntarily, on their own volition, re-up and give their entire life in service to their master. And that is, every time the scripture talks about you being a servant of God, that's what it's referring to. It's not that God is oppressing you. It's not that he is forcing himself on you. But the invitation for, the, for you is there. Like Jesus is giving us the way to life and we can choose to actually give our lives in service to him and to that. Romans 13, verse 8, one of my favorites. Let no debt remain outstanding. 
except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the whole law. My favorite sort of example of this, if you will, um, in, in, in history is of Harriet Tubman. You guys are familiar with her and her life and her story. She's an, um, a 19th century slave woman born in the South. And at some point in her life, the details aren't really clear, she becomes a free woman. She crosses the state line. She's in the North, and now she is a free person. And how does she decide to spend the rest of her life? Going back hundreds of times into slave owner territory and showing others the way to be really and truly free. I love that picture, that metaphor, to what your life is now like. You have been set free. Are you going to use that freedom wisely? Are you going to use that, that freedom to humbly serve others the way that Jesus has taught us to? I love that. He also says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Um, again, he's probably speaking of a couple of things. The first one being that, again, the Gentiles came from this, this pagan tradition. I'm not saying that in a negative sense. It's just that's what they were. And so there was a lot of moral ambiguity in that culture where sexual promiscuity and what we would call, what the Bible calls sexual immorality was tolerated. And so he's referring to that here, and he's, he's saying don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. Actually, now that you are in Jesus, you are called to this new level of sexual purity. But then in verse 15, again, he is not giving those religious elites, those religious hypocrites, any room, uh, any excuse. He actually... He actually says, hey, don't, he also says, and, and make sure you're not biting each other's heads off either. And, he, and he's saying, he's saying don't, don't just look at the group that's other from you and say, yeah, they've got a lot to work on. Invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit in to search your heart and to see the area in your life that the Lord wants you to work through and to work on. Verse 16 says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I love this section. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. There you go again. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I started today by saying that this is the beginning of Paul's sort of um, explanation of the biblical strategy for preserving, maintaining, and championing unity in the church. First way is through giving ourselves in humble service, although we are free, using our freedom in that way. And the second one is to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Again, that means probably everything that just popped into your mind, uh, because you've probably heard that phrase and a lot over the years, and maybe you even uh, are practicing walking in the Spirit a lot, but it probably means more than just what comes into your mind. But the verse 16 and 17 kind of lay out um, this battle between the flesh and the Spirit, the flesh and the Spirit, and uh, the battle is although the battle exists outside of you in the world, it also exists inside of you. And that's what Paul is zoning in on, is the flesh that is in you. So that the word flesh is the Greek word sarks. And uh, when you are saved, here's how, how this idea works biblically. When you are saved, you are forgiven of all of your sin, uh, and you are a new creation. You're transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of 
of the son he loves. And it's this beautiful thing that we all celebrate and every Sunday morning we come together and we sing songs of celebration and songs of victory because that is what has happened. In the language of 2 Corinthians 5, the new creation is here. Amen, full stop. That is your new reality. But you also still have the flesh. And this is the part of you that is out of alignment with the kingdom of God. This is the part of you that still wants to, still loves the wrong stuff. Like, my favorite example of this is, um, actually, I'm, I'm hacking this example from James K.A. Smith's You Are What You Love, which is a book that was really popular about five years ago. I still go back to it and reread it often. It's a super helpful look at how Western society is shaped aggressively into the image of secular culture. And uh, in it, he says, the problem isn't that I don't want to be a healthy person. And he's, in the metaphor, is referring to, like, physically healthy. <laughs> but he says, but the problem is I also still want things like ice cream. <laughs> like, I, st- I want to be, deep down, I want to be a healthy person. I want to live a long life with no clogged arteries and all of that. But the problem is I still, like, on the surface, I still desire things. When I drive by Bonta, come on. You're like, oh, man, I got to go in and have some Bonta <laughs> or whatever. I still I have a sweet tooth. I also really love red meat. I just I love all of that. So, de- like, I want to live a healthy lifestyle, but I'm also conflicted. There are competing desires in my heart. So the, but the battle is about desire. There is competing wills at play, of course, in the world, but even, like, right up and down the middle of your own heart. And Paul is saying, that's where we got to start. That's where we got to begin to work. And I love what John Mark says in his book, Live No Lies. He says, we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. And in the beginning, we have a choice, but eventually we have a character. And it's such a helpful paradigm shift for us because we like to think of ourselves as very individualistic and free people, making a lot of free moral choices every day. But the reality is we are shaped by our habits and eventually our habits just become so deeply ingrained in us to the point where we have this character. So it's not as simple as me saying, gosh, you guys, be more patient tomorrow. Be more loving tomorrow. It's not that simple. We actually need patterns and behaviors and, our, and everything to change so that we can become the kind of person who loves out of an overflow of the Spirit's working in my life. And that's what the Scripture means when it says, walk by the Spirit. Um, this week, uh, we've been doing some staff development with our team, which has been so fun. Michael Thompson, who's a part of our community, does a lot of business consulting, and he's, he's been helping us out, coming in and kind of working on our team's potential and trying to unlock some things for us, and it's been just hugely helpful. And he has this paradigm that's called the five voices. And to me, more helpful than like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, particularly when you're trying to apply it to a team. And in the five voices, the idea is that we each have like a primary voice. Some of us are louder than others, and we need to pay attention to one another and champion the quieter voices and all that. It's been really fascinating. I won't do the whole download on you right now. But turns out I'm a pioneer, and a pioneer means that I'm like type A and headstrong and determined and have all kinds of dreams and goals and ambitions, and I just want to go a million miles a minute, and my speed and my my volume (laughs) tends to be uh, much higher than most other people. And so on a team, that can be 
in the language of the five voices can be pretty dominating. And so another part of this paradigm is like what he calls like the weapon system. So uh, no matter what you are in the five voices, you have a kind of a weapon system. And I remember he was talking about this with us and he goes, you know, those of you who are pioneers, I was the only one. He said, pioneers have a grenade launcher and then the safety is always off and um, he's very, the pioneers are super volatile and they can sometimes cause a lot of damage on teams um, when they're triggered or when they're wronged because the grenade launcher comes out and it causes all kinds of damage. And I was like hearing that and I was like, shoot, that's kind of spot on. And um, I don't love the fact that that's true about me, but the reality is, is that all my life, no one's accused me of being easygoing. Um, only people <laughs> have noticed that I have an intensity at which I move through the world. And so I'm like hearing all of this and not because he was wrong, just because it was like spot on and convicting. He was like, yeah, this can be something that's true about the pioneers. And um, so by the time he was done, I was starting to feel kind of just like bad about myself because um, uh, I have a strong inner critic too. I'm like a whole mess. This isn't my therapy session, so I'm gonna like just stop right there. But, um, but it, anyway, so I'm, we're, we're like just like reflecting in real time about all of this. And I don't know if you could tell, Lauren, but I was like starting to be like just discouraged about like, oh man, the way I move through the world can be like toxic and dehumanizing and hard and difficult for everybody. And what you said was just so generous to me and so sweet to me, and I valued it so much. You said, you, you said like, okay, sure, fine, like maybe that's who you were, but that's not how I experience your leadership, and that's not how we experience you. Like you're actually a gentle and kind leader, which like honestly was exactly the nicest possible thing that she could have said, and I needed to hear that. And so the point isn't that I'm an awesome leader. That would be a really bad point to a story. <laughs> So don't, don't, I'm not like trying to like inflate my ego or whatever. Um, but the point was that like in my natural state, before I'm reformed by Jesus, I have the capacity to be very intense and probably cause damage on the teams that I'm on just because I'm very, very headstrong. But for the better part of 20 years, about 18 years, day by day, multiple times a day, I've presented myself before God in his presence. And slowly, not all at once, but definitely over the course of my life, under the influence of Jesus' presence, I have been changed. I have been fundamentally changed. I'm not who I was when I was 22, thank God. I was all kinds of things when I was 22. Thank God I'm not those things anymore. Um, so dominating and overpowering people with my intensity now is actually inconsistent with who I am. It's not actually who I am anymore. And again, that's not to say that I've got this worked out. There's still much that God wants to do in the terms of reform, reforming my heart. But the reality is, is that when you walk by the Spirit, you will undergo a moral transformation and live as a completely new person. So when we say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, love, joy, peace, patience, all the stuff that we're going to be taking the next couple of weeks to unfold... This is not just aspirational, inspirational, like bumper sticker language. Oh, that'd be really nice, beautiful, or whatever. But it's just basically aspirational and nothing else. No, it's actually practical strategy from the Spirit of God. So the fruit of the Spirit is not automatic, but it is possible. And this is what Romans calls the law of the Spirit of life. So eventually what takes place is that the flesh 
loses the battle for your heart and cannot grow anymore. And the spirit overpowers the flesh. I don't love running, especially just like on the pavement. It's like one of my least favorite things to do. But there's like 2% of you who like have gotten past like the drudgery of running to the point where you now actually enjoy it and crave it. You're mad. You're crazy if you ask me. But the reality is, is that some of you have been trained to that point where most of us are like just trying to avoid an early heart attack and like being a vegetable in our 60s. Like some of you, a very small group of you, but some of you have, have gotten to the place where like, man, if you didn't run today, you would feel it and you would just crave to run the following day. You actually desire, you actually want the things that are actually really good for you. I love that. Okay, last final point before we're done. You guys have done awesome. Um, that, that phrase, walk by the Spirit, it's, uh, it's, actually, uh, it's actually Exodus language. Again, Paul's referencing Torah again. So when, when the presence of God uh, guided Israel post-Egypt in the wilderness, the presence of God came to them in the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day. And so anytime the Bible talks about like walking by the Spirit, I'm convinced and scholars agree that actually what's going on there is they're like actually like referencing back or highlighting back to that time where the presence of God is literally guiding and leading the community of God to the promised inheritance. And that's actually what's going on there. So the idea was that the presence of God is guiding his people to that promised inheritance. And the same is happening with you as you walk by the Spirit. The presence of God is guiding you into your new inheritance, which is, of course, the new creation, which involves the whole united community. So the wordplay is suggesting that, that this is what happens when the Spirit of God takes the lead in your life. And this is a, an important distinction for us as Americans. We like to say, okay, how can I harness the Holy Spirit for the things that I want in my life? And unfortunately, any time we give that a try, it's just a futile attempt in whatever, self-actualization or something like that. But what the scripture is actually in introducing you to and encouraging you to is to actually submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and to follow, of course, his lead. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit takes the lead. So when you daily present yourself before God, you're led by the Spirit, and over time you eventually possess the character of Christ. And again, that's what we're unpacking over the next couple of weeks. Love, joy, peace, patience, and on down the list. And what that means, of course, is that you're a more wise and more mature, Jesus-loving person who's able to give their life in service to others. And that's actually helping harbor and bring that peace and that unity in the church that is, again, the main point of this letter. But also, we have to read this from the collectivist uh, view or lens. This is not just your private moral instruction. This is actually has broader application, and this is actually in service to the goal of this letter, that we are all one in Christ. So I worked on this diagram this week that will hopefully explain it to you. Okay? So as I walk by the Spirit, remember Galatians chapter 3 says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor, or, nor female, neither uh, free nor slave. We are all one in Christ. Um, so that's what that represents there. And as I walk by the Spirit, as you walk by the Spirit, and when the guy who kind of drives you crazy walks by the Spirit, what ends up happening is we retain all of our differences. You're still a woman. 
you're still Latina. You're still single. You still like love the outdoors. You still vote Democrat or whatever. But we also possess the character of Christ and he's the one who brings us closer. So as I get closer to Jesus and you get closer to Jesus, the result is that we both grow closer to one another. And the things that used to divide us aren't as strong as the character traits of Jesus that are within us by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul, this is the wisdom of Galatians 5 that's sort of beneath the layer of like private moral instruction is that as we walk by the Spirit and grow, grow closer to Jesus, we possess his character, and those bonds become stronger than the things that divide us. So you might find yourself, and I know many of you do, thinking to yourself things like, wow, like I'm still very different from that person. I'm still very different from them. But it's undeniable. We have that same Spirit that's within all of us, guiding us and leading us into the new creation. And we both have this like unique thing that we, we love our enemies. We're both like devoted to the bread and cup. We both like take part in the same sacrament and the same holy moment of gathering together in Jesus' name. And that's what God is, is doing. Um, I'm, I'm reminded uh, one, one last thing before we're done. Um, there's this. Uh, there's that long list in verses 19 through 21 of the different uh, desires of the flesh, which Paul says are obvious. Again, he's not just including like the gross moral sins like sexual immorality and orgies and things like that, although he does include that. He's also including things like dissension and fits of rage. Again, I think this is Paul's homage to say, hey, 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 hey. Those of you who kind of have your act together on what we would typically perceive as like the moral, like, like main things, like your sexuality is in check and everything else. He's saying, but hold on. Like it's just as equally as destructive to actually participate in some of these other selfish ambitions and some of these other kinds of sins. And so as he's, as he's unfolding that for us, I was just reminded of something I read by a 19th century writer named Francis Frangipane. I will admit, I picked up his book because I like the way his name sound, but I actually also really like the book. And in it, he says this, at some phase in each of our lives, we all will be confronted with the impurities of our hearts. The Holy Spirit reveals our sinfulness, not to condemn us, but to establish humility and deepen the knowledge of our personal need for grace. And it's at this crossroad that both holy men and hypocrites are bred. Those who become holy see their need and fall prostrate before God for deliverance. Those who become hypocrites are they who, in seeing their sin, excuse it and thus remain intact. And I think this is just a good little gut check, litmus test for us today. Is it still far easier for you to just see the speck in your brother or your sister's eye? Oh my gosh, I cannot believe they have such an unsophisticated view of seeing the gospel and seeing the world and seeing the church that they could possibly believe that ideology or vote that way or whatever. Or are you getting to that place in life where you can actually receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit? You can actually see where your heart still needs reformation and confess it to the Lord. And to actually allow his Holy Spirit not to condemn you, Remember, Jesus says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And in 1 John, it says, 
um, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So the, the point is not his condemnation. The point is actually that we would, we would notice our own sin, be humble enough to admit it, confess it before the Lord and in community, and over time, under the influence of Jesus' presence, as we walk by the Spirit, become the kinds of people who are um, just filled with his Spirit and possess the character of Christ. So the change is not automatic, but it is possible. Change isn't automatic, it is possible. I mentioned uh, earlier at the beginning that there are some people, in our, young men in our community, who, um, like a lot of our culture, are wrestling with an addiction to pornography. And so it's very often that I meet with men in our community who have this thing, and there's support groups in town and stuff like that that are fantastic. There's also good programs for all of that. So if, you're, if that's something you're walking through, I'd be happy to chat with you after the gathering. But um, as I was talking with this one gentleman, we've been doing spiritual direction over the last couple of months, and he's in, in the process of like rebuilding trust in his marriage and learning his triggers and what are the things that cause him to walk into that and to fall into that temptation to begin with. And he was talking to me recently about just his affection for and his like almost he, what he described as I used to be addicted to this thing over here that I kept in secret that my wife every now and again would find out about. But now I'm like addicted to God's presence where like when I wake up and when I have a moment alone, like the thing that I'm thinking about is actually like stealing away to be with God. Like that's what I most deeply want now. And this is something that's just taken place over a couple of months. And it doesn't mean he's out of the woods and it doesn't mean that there's not temptation there. It just means that he's feeding the spirit in him and starving the flesh which is exactly the invitation that's in front of you today. So the two, like the very beginning of, of Paul's practical strategy for preserving unity in the church is this. Use your freedom in Christ, serve others humbly in love, and walk by the Spirit. The way I suggest you start, and I know mo most of you have, are not just starting, but, but this is how you start. Just multiple times a day, present yourself before God. Meditate on Scripture, pray, uh, sit in the quiet, go for prayer walk, and invite him to take the lead. Notice your own kind of controlling nature wanting to take control, and instead allow him, invite him to take the lead, and ask him to begin to do that deep work of change from within you. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray together. So here we are. I want to encourage you to please um, just be present in this moment. So easy to get a few minutes ahead on like what we're going to do next. And that's fair. I get it. I, it's like a beautiful day outside and I'm like really looking forward to what our family's got going on this afternoon. But before we do that, let's just open our, ourselves up to the possibility that God might want to like... Um, help you internalize what you just heard. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you this moment to come. Thank you for how you bring conviction. Thank you that you're not um, condemning us. Thank you.
thank you that for all of the religious hypocrisy that's out in the world today, you're not in that group. The way that you come to us is like in your generous, self-giving love. And so we are eager to just be moved by your spirit tonight or today. praying before the gathering, um, Eva just uh, was reminded of something that the Spirit's been speaking to her all throughout the week, which was just this line, all you have to do is ask. She was referring to how she just wanted to draw near to God and God to draw near to her. So for those of you who might feel like, wow, sounds like there's some passion coming from the front today, from the platform. Like, clearly he believes what he's saying there, but I want to experience that same love of God. I want to experience that same presence of God. I think the message of the scripture is that all you have to do is ask. right here with you. And the second thing is just to commit yourself again. For some of you, maybe this is like the thousandth time to say, I, I'm going to walk by the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit going to be led by the presence of God. And our sense is just that the opportunity for genuine moral transformation, but also the possibility of true unity in the church is possible because of the way that the Spirit moves in us. I feel, I get the sense that I'm, I'm in a room full of people who are going, yeah, like I'm, I want to be a part of that kingdom movement. So Jesus, we devote ourselves to that now. We want to walk by your spirit. We want to be a part of your kingdom work here in Ben. And now we're going to respond and, and we respond in a variety of ways. We come forward for the bread and the cup, which we're going to take together after this next song. So as we're singing, come forward, grab bread and cup, go back to your seat, we'll take it together. We also have the prayer wall that will be open for anyone who uh, would like to receive prayer for any reason. Maybe there's something that's stirring in you, or maybe there was a, uh, you know, something I said or something that was spoken today that is, is stirring you. We'd love to offer prayers for you, take you to the feet of Jesus. So we're going to do that too. And finally, we're just going to sing this song about the Lord's love for you. And we're going to celebrate it. And we're going to sing of his victory. And we just encourage you to not hold back. Actually let your heart, your mind, your body, your mouth, your voice proclaim what you deep down know. Which is that Jesus has in fact set you free. So we respond as your people.